What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Coming up on The Mark Divine Show. The slower I move and the quieter I am, that's when happiness in my life actually is able to emerge. I can't do that when I'm squelching it by running around with my hair on fire and occupying every waking second of my day. You can accomplish anything you want in the world, and it's not going to fulfill you the way that just taking that time to reflect actually can. Hi, I'm Mark Devine, and I'm the host of The Mark Devine Show. Super stoked to have you here today. On The Mark Devine Show, I explore what it means to be fearless through the lens of the world's most courageous, compassionate, and inspirational leaders. My guests include folks from all walks of life, martial arts grandmasters and special operations leaders, and even Native American warrior leaders, such as my guest today, DJ Eagle Bear Vanis, thought leader, celebrated speaker, best-selling author. He loves showing people and organizations how to apply the warrior spirit at work. DJ is the author of the best-selling books, The Tiny Warrior, The Novel Spirit, and his new book, The Warrior Within, which came out in uh, late 2022. DJ is a member of the Ottawa tribe. He's a former U.S. Air Force officer, and he holds a BS from the U.S. Air Force Academy and an MS from the University of Southern California. He's got his own documentary as well. He's the host of the PBS special, Discovering Your Warrior Spirit, which aired nationally in 2021. DJ, thanks for joining me today. Super stoked to have you here. Thanks for having me, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, I'm, I was really excited to see um, you on the kind of docket. I'm not sure how that happened, but uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Native American warriors and deeply inspired by that tradition myself. And I'm, you know, super stoked to kind of get into it with you and, yeah. and get your your perspective. Give us a sense um, before we kind of get into like warriorship. What was your life like growing up? You know, were you in the in Ottawa, up in the Canada, or where, where did you grow up? And what was your, you know, what were your influences like early on? Yeah, my tribe is from Michigan, so I'm oh, a, Michigan. Enrolled, okay. Yeah, I'm an enrolled member of the Ottawa tribe. Got it. Uh, but I grew up in a military environment. My dad was in uniform for 21 years, uh, enlisted okay. man in the Air Force. But also in my family, my grandma taught our traditional language. We had a history of military service uh, in my family. So it was a, a familiar path that kind of, you know, the alignment was all there, even from a young age. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the progression of, you know, the work that I do now has just been such a, I guess it's an on-ramp I've been building my entire life, you know, through yeah, right. that exposure. But yeah, and I grew up all over the U.S., uh, grew up in South Dakota, North Dakota, Mississippi, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wherever the Air Force stationed us. And then I served in uniform for 14 years myself and bounced around quite a bit. But well, I understand the, yeah. the military culture fairly well. And I know, you know, Air Force is different than Navy and whatnot. But um, mm -hmm. within that culture, what um, kind of rituals and things did your family do to kind of teach you and, and, and keep the Ottawa tribal culture alive for you or bring it alive probably? Yeah. Uh, even as a kid, I mean, I was always taught, you know, who I was, where we came from. I had a real good sense of that and a pride in it. You know, that I understood from a young age that my people sacrificed a lot 
yeah. uh, to allow me the opportunities I have today. Military service is always something that has been important in our tribal communities. Uh, we have the highest service rates of any ethnic group in America. No kidding. You mean across all tribes or just uh, Ottawa? Across all tribes. That makes sense. And, and it's because of that warrior spirit tradition being expressed in military service. I was part of a PBS documentary a couple of years ago called The Warrior Tradition. Mm -hmm. And it was telling that story of our service rate. And uh, I was honored to be featured in that. But it was, you know, being able to tell that story of how we express those warrior traditions, especially when it comes to military service now, which highlighted that. And then that led to an opportunity to have my own PBS show that I, I wrote, produced and hosted called Discovering Your Warrior Spirit, which aired nationally last year. Oh, that's really cool. So that's something important in our tribal communities, always right. has been and uh, will continue to be. Do all tribes have a warrior culture or is it just yeah. things were made famous by, they were our enemies. <laughs> by their movie? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. They were probably the yeah. enemies of you guys. Well, they were part of the Iroquois League. So we fought them on the east and then on the west we fought like the Dakota, uh, which is like the Woodlands right. uh, Sioux. But no, it's, most tribes have some semblance of a warrior culture, not all of them, mm -hmm. uh, like up in Alaska. You have tribes that are a lot more Pacific. Uh, they deal with their conflicts in a very different way. Mm -hmm. The environment is so harsh up there that tribes, you know, it, collaboration was key for survival. Yeah. So there wasn't a whole lot of uh, extracurricular activity, you know, raiding other villages. It was just hard enough to survive on your own. Right. But most tribes had some semblance of a warrior culture. It was, you know, the protectors, the leadership uh, of the tribe. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what I teach now with that, that warrior concept is, the way that I share that with my groups that I work with, uh, it transcends race, age, gender, of you know, stage yeah. of life. It's uh, I, I talk about the universal principles that made our warriors special right. and can have an impact in our life when we apply them to. Yeah, I agree with that. The calling of the warrior is an archetypal energy, right? Yes. Not everyone has it. If you have it, then you pretty much know you have it. The military is one path, but it's certainly not the only path, as you point out. That, right. You can be a warrior in any any particular domain of life, you know, mother, father, right? Yeah. Uh, merchant, right? So I want to get into that, but I do want to still stick with this educating myself really about how you were taught about the history of your tribe and what happened with the white men coming to the shores and kind of like spreading throughout, you know, yeah. the westward regions and, and how, whether that brought tribes together or, or split them apart, you know, how, what, what were you taught, you know, in terms of that history? It was a steamroller process. I mean, you know, when we talk about the history of this country with Native people, it's not a kind or pretty history. It's not it continues to all, be challenging. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, cultural guilt around, or collective guilt, I think, that we all have around that as well. Yeah, it was. it's tough. You know, the nation's first people, you know, always got treated last. And, right. and it continues to be a challenge. But, you know, the thing that tribes found themselves uh, outmatched, outgunned, outtechnologied, but what made our warriors special is they still found a way to rally and protect their people, sometimes even winning battles against, you know, being completely outmatched and mm -hmm. in so many different ways. Did the tribes band together to try to fight, a, you know, the common enemy? That, that was probably a problem, right? They, they might have had a little bit more success if they were to come together. You're right. And, and I always think about that. I, I, I thought about writing a, a fiction story at some mm -hmm. point in my writing career where I talk about, you know, like these tribes coming together sooner and, and how that may have played out. But yeah, it was, it was kind of too little too late. There was a couple yeah. moments in time where that happened. Uh, our chief, 
Pontiac of the Ottawa tribe uh, united 19 different tribes throughout the okay. Ohio River Valley, wow. uh, which was unique. That hadn't happened before because typically, you know, tribes, we raided each other. We, we fought with each right. other. We didn't try to decimate each other, mm -hmm. but that was the way we kind of got our warriors to go on their first foray, you know, mm -hmm. into enemy territory. And so that was how we created our, our warrior class. But it was a very different type of warfare. You know, right. but once right. tribes realized that it was really guerrilla warfare against kind of like really, frontal assault type warfare. Exactly. And it wasn't siege warfare. It, it wasn't was, like try to starve an enemy out, try to burn a village down. It wasn't that type of fighting. It was small scale engagements. And then another time, you know, like, uh, for instance, Tecumseh, you know, one of my role models and heroes yeah, did it again to fight the Americans. He actually allied with the British, you know, during the war of 1812, but mm -hmm. they were trying to shove Americans back to the shores of, you know, back to the colonies. Mm -hmm. So he united a bunch of tribes too, but it was rare to see that happen. And then when it started happening on a more regular basis, it was, you know, kind of the, the battles were already lost. It was too late. Yeah. Um, I've heard a lot about how one of the major things that really kind of put a nail into the part of the, of the Indian nations was the smallpox and how that was a U.S. Army kind of trickery where they distributed Blankets, blankets that were infested with smallpox. Is that a true story uh, from, from your perspective? Unfortunately, yeah. it is. Um, yeah, bi biological warfare was something that we were, we, we didn't have the immunities. That's right. And so it wiped out, you know, entire villages, entire populations. That's horrific, by the way. I just think that's one of the most horrific things I've ever heard it, that, that yeah. we could do. And, and you know, we used to see it happening to this day. You're like, we really haven't evolved that much. Cringeworthy. It's cringeworthy, yeah. But but disease wiped out a lot of tribal populations, even right before first contact. Right. You know, even when you know Europeans made it to this hemisphere. Yeah, down down south, that's what took out the Aztecs and the Mayans and all that. Yeah, and it went all the way up into North America. So by the time the English, you know, started landing on the eastern shore, they saw kind of sparse populations. You know, there's a great book, 1491 by Charles Mann. Yeah. He talks about yeah. how the population of, before it was the United States, just the North American continent could have had up to 120 million really? people. Wow. But they were wiped out by 90%. No kidding. Out because of disease. And that's, the, that's one of those figures that I read about from time to time that becomes more and more based on scientific, you know, research and facts that wow. is pretty shocking, but again, you're dealing with a population that has zero immunities right. towards the diseases that, you know, Europeans have been fighting for millennia. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't think we need to go down that road about, you know, the potential of pandemics to do great harm. <laughs> we yeah. obviously saw that recently. We're all kind of raw from that one. Yeah. We're a little bit raw from that one. Now, by the way, the, the other tribe that greatly inspired me um, were the the Apache warriors. And mm -hmm. the only reason that I was inspired by them was through training from a fellow named Tom Brown. Are you familiar with his work? Uh, I'm not. The, he's the tracker, the very famous tracker. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I do know who you're talking about. And he had a, a mentor who was an Apache, you know, who spent the last like 20 years of his life with Tom when Tom was in his formative years, like like 14 or 15 up into his early 20s, mid-20s. And taught him all the scouting techniques and all the tracking and also the spiritual traditions of the Apache. Yeah. They were really rich, right? And I'm sure that, you know, in your Ottawa trip tribe, like the, the visualization practices that they had, you know, the, the rituals around becoming a warrior, mm -hmm. right? Spending a year in the wilderness and, you know, like I said, some of the imagery work that they had to do and some of the healing and forgiveness and the prayer work that they did. It was really quite extraordinary. Yeah, there's deep spiritual ties in, in that role of a warrior, right. you know, in our tribal communities. It was it went beyond 
you know, it, even the time that I had in the military, you know, what made it different than that experience was there's a heavy spiritual component, um, right. you know, in our tribal communities when it comes to that role. And it was, you know, based on love. That was, a, right. that was our secret weapon. We loved who we fought for and what we fought right. for. And um, that's why they fought the way that they did. That's why, you know, Apaches, you know, with Geronimo, they fought to the bitter end. That's right. I mean, there was only a small band of them being tracked by 5,000 U.S. Army soldiers. It was amazing. They were like the public enemy number one, you know, with a reward on their head, but they were so hard to kill because they right. were just so advanced spiritually. I remember this learning, you know, that they, that I'm sure again, the, the, the other warriors like in your tribe were able to do these things, but notion of understanding psychology and how the brain works so well that they could literally hide in plain sight, right? So they understood that, you know, like if I'm standing and I'm looking out at a, at a scene that is not familiar with me, like, like I'm traversing some, some new countryside. That, you know, my brain, my eyes will pick out the big features, right? Like, oh, there's a big mountain range over there and there's a cluster of trees. But then it kind of like, to save energy, it fills in the gaps. Right. Leaving out details. Yeah. And so if you know where to hide, it's better to hide like in plain sight where there's not a feature that your brain is going to like zero in on the details. You know yeah. what I mean? So they would hide yeah. in literally like in plain sight. Well, that, yeah. And that's the thing though. The so cool. Warriors and scouts, I mean, they were so tied. I mean, tribal people in general were so completely tied to the environment right? and knew the comings and goings and the patterns and kind of right. predict weather changes and migration patterns. Yeah. And, and understand what the animals are up to and exactly. kind of follow their patterns. You know, Tom Brown called that reading the morning newspaper. There you go. Completely integrated into your environment. <laughs> he would get up every morning. And he would see what all the animals had done that morning, you yeah. know, early morning in their foraging and be like, oh, yeah, so the fox went after the critter over here and this happened over there. And, you know, you could start to orient, you know, your day based upon what, what the animal. That's was. it. Yeah, because when Europeans came to the shores of North America, they thought Native people were magic. Right. You know, because of how, you know, accurate they were with their predictions, how integrated they were into their environment. They could read the signs and, you know, it was, uh, it was an incredible yeah. you know, system that had been developed through, through a lifetime. I was a SEAL, as you know, and I've done mm -hmm. that um, three different trainings with Tom and that kind of stacked on top of my um, meditation and spiritual practice, which started with Zen when, and through the martial arts when I was 21. So, yeah. so four years before I uh, joined the SEALs, I had got my black belt and I'd been studying Zen pretty much every day. And I continue it, you know, in the military, but as you know, sometimes in the military, given the schedules and what we're doing, you know, it's hard to keep a daily like seated meditation. So I, I taught myself to take it wherever I was, you know, to carry yeah. my meditation around kind of like, like I would my uh, sidearm, you know what I mean? Yeah. So whenever I had downtime, and as you know, in the military, there's a lot of downtime. Yeah. Fit it in where you can. Yeah. If what you say is I would just be meditating and, and contemplating and breathing and whatnot. And so I had a lot of like really, really cool experiences. And that led me to, um, as I tried to continue my martial arts training here in San Diego, and there wasn't much going on here, mm -hmm. I got into yoga. Yoga's a you know was a huge yoga community here, yeah. And that led me down a whole nother rabbit hole of the you know the Eastern traditions, you know Patanjali Yoga Sutras and Paramahansa Yogananda, and recognizing that yoga is was also like the foundation of most of the Eastern martial arts, yeah. But there was like these parallel systems, right? And so the natives had their systems. And then the Easterners had their system, but the people who didn't have any system were the Westerners who came out of Europe. Yeah. Because they relied on dogmatic structural religion, right, for their spirituality. And, it, and right. it lacked or they had stripped out all these 
these deep personal practices that led you to find God within. There you go. Yeah, the holistic approach. The holistic approach. So I was like, so I, in my whole life, I was so inspired and, and had such extraordinary success and experiences because of my martial arts and the, the yoga training and then recognizing the sameness in the Apache traditions. Yeah. That I wanted to bring that to the SEALs. And that's why I started SEALFIT. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? So, so yeah. my intention behind SEALFIT was to create a whole warrior again that was lacking in the Western military. Yeah. And so I started teaching SEAL trainees and special operators. Uh, I had to simplify everything. I called it taking the foo out of the Kung Fu. What I got from the Apaches was something called fox walking. Fox walking is basically mindful walking where you basically you, you take one step per minute and you use a soft gaze. So you're turning your attention inward, allowing information to flow in as opposed to projecting outward yeah. with a hard gaze. And you do this for about an hour. It's like the last few feet you would take if you were stalking, you know, a deer, right? Right. You'd stalk a deer and then the last few feet, the last like 10 or 20 feet, you'd do this fox walk. Really slow. Extraordinarily slow, no sound, your mind completely empty so the deer can't feel you, can't feel your energy. Yeah. So I would use those, but I could explain that very well to the SEAL candidates. But anything that came from like an Eastern or esoteric tradition, you know, they just went, they're glazed over. So I, I took it all that out and I just started calling it like box breathing. Right. Yeah. And when it came to like internal dialogue and managing the mind, you know, I just called it what it was, you know, mm-hmm. mental control, right? Yeah. And stuff like that. And boy, do they love it. And 90% of these guys got through SEAL training or are getting through SEAL training. And now the SEALs are using these skills that I call unbeatable mind, which is really yeah. cool. But, but my point for bringing this up is that the whole rationale was to create a more complete warrior because I, I was That's so it. deeply inspired by those traditions and what I'd learned from the Apaches that. The warrior is the last to pick up the weapon, you know, mm-hmm. literally the last to pick up the spear or the lance. And when they do so, they do so with great reverence mm-hmm. and even love for their enemies. And I remember a poem, I wish I had in front of me, but a poem from this uh, Apache scout written in like 1890 or something where he's about to send the scouts into battle and he's asking for forgiveness. Yeah. And he's asking for, you know, the great spirit that runs through all things to guide their hands and to guide their hearts for they love their enemy as they love themselves. Yeah. It's a, well, it, that's the honor part in battle, right? How it was done traditionally, you know, not, not the decimation and, like I said, complete destruction of a village or, or a population of people. There was an honor there because of what it required. It tested us in ways that's right. that were very unique, that were very powerful and deep. And, and that's one of the things, too, that integrating that spirituality, those personal practices, you know, like I've been through traditional vision quest. I'm, a, I'm mm-hmm. also a veteran sun dancer. Are you? Nice. Like you go through these ceremonies. I mean, I, I went through a ceremony that, I mean, Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull had gone through, you know, they were sun dancers. It was, you know, to go through these experiences, you realize that there's an integration there of the spiritual and what goes much deeper than just the skill sets that a warrior would get, you right. know, how to shoot a bow and arrow, how to mm-hmm. throw a lance, how to fight with a tomahawk. It's it's important to master all those, of course, but then you, you move beyond those to master the mental and spiritual domains. Exactly. One of, one of the things I talk about in, in my book, The Warrior Within, was how the katana blade was crafted and why it was a unique, mm-hmm. probably the, you know, the finest sword ever crafted on the face of the earth because it was made from two types of metal. Uh, one that has hardness, which resists impact. It's stiff. It's inflexible. But if you build the whole sword with that, it becomes brittle. 
And that's what happens to us if we just get a skill set and we don't develop that deeper side of resilience, what real resilience is like. It's being strong like grass, not like a tree. And so that second type of metal in the katana is soft. What metallurgists call it has toughness, Mm -hmm. which means it can absorb impact. It can flex under strain. And when we do that, we develop that emotional capacity, that spiritual capacity to absorb whatever's happening to us mm-hmm. so we can get back into the fight. And it's sustainable. You know, it's we can do it day in and day out throughout our journey. We don't burn out. We don't break. Uh, that's what happens when we're flexible, inflexible and stiff right. uh, without that deeper capacity. Yeah. And the forging that sword is a long, long process of interweaving the hard and the soft, the yin and the yang. Yeah. Right. And so that they are, they're inseparable. And so it is to build a warrior too, right? Right. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. That's a big part of what I'm teaching people is like, we're so over young in our culture. We're all hard. We're all biased toward action, doing skill-based training. Yeah. And, you know, do more equals more success. And I think the last few years, you know, the, the bloom is off that rose. People yeah. are starting to recognize that that's a, that's a flawed approach, you know? Yeah. So they're looking for answers. But the, and the funny thing is, you know, the answers have been here all along. They have. Right? They, were they, on have. This, they were on this territory before the white people arrived. And thank God. I mean, isn't it a great boost to know that the fundamentals are still fundamental? That's that right. the basics are still basic and they work. You know, these are timeless ideas. Okay, we're going to take a short break here from the Mark Devine Show to hear a short message from one of our partners. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. After 30 years in the trenches forging meters, one of the most important things that I've learned about bringing out the fullest potential in someone is that leaders thrive in supportive team environments. Being part of an elite team activates something deep inside where you can find a whole new level of drive and discipline that you never knew you had. I just opened a few spots in my highest level, most elite coaching program called Unbeatable Team. The Unbeatable Team program is an elite team mastermind with a number of events throughout the year for high-performing leaders looking to unlock even higher levels of performance by surrounding themselves with a support system that'll help them blast through personal barriers and limiting beliefs. The truth is that when you're part of an elite unit, you transcend your personal limitations and you'll do anything to avoid letting your team down. All of us are hardwired to get our best results when we're part of a winning team. I saw this as a Navy SEAL and I've seen it over and over again, training Navy SEALs and as an executive coach and in my own organization. The right team is the ultimate leverage to increase your personal potential. If you think you're a fit for the Unbeatable Team, go to unbeatablemind.com, learn more, and click on Start Here to apply. I hope to see you there. And now back to the show. It just requires an acceptance and appreciation that, you know, these are the advanced technologies, they, but they just don't look advanced to you because they don't come wrapped in a shiny package that you open like in an out pops like an iPod or something like that. That's it. Yeah, yeah, and so you're seeing some people now kind of who get it, who are like, okay, well, if I can wrap, like I, I got this breathing device, which literally comes in a box and, and it's nothing but a little 
toy that expands and contracts in your hand and you're supposed to like synchronize your breathing to it. I'm like, yeah. And it's kind of sad, but it's also a little bit genius because they recognize that people need a shiny object. But the problem yeah. is that they won't stick with it. You know, the batteries will go out, they'll lose it, and then they'll, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I'm wondering how do you teach and how did the auto and try teach the practice or the disciplines of the warrior so that they became just inculcated into your daily life? It was integrated into everything. Really? I mean, I've worked with over 500 tribal nations, including my own. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the things that comes back as a, you know, over and over again is the way that warriors were developed was on purpose, with purpose, mm -hmm. and with, with a clear-cut design. And it's happened from childhood, you know, where people got used to being in the elements, being uncomfortable, right. being right. patient, uh, being in a place of solitude, you know, not just learning the skills, but like I said, you know, what we were talking about before that developing that mental toughness piece where you can mm -hmm. deal with adversity, you can deal with setbacks, discomfort, pain, fear. So you're saying it was all like in the dialoguing, the, you know, dinner time and everything. It was integrated into everything. Yeah. Uh, this was, this was a way of life truly. Yeah. Um, because there are people depended on that group for, you know, for protection, for defense. And so it was a big role. Right. Was there anything that looked like a what we would call a meditative practice that was taught oh yeah definitely okay, so what did that look like for you prayer prayer um you know all of our ceremonies when we talk about prayer like for instance vision quest yeah um i did that for four years and that's uh the lakota call it hamblechayapi which means to cry for a vision mm -hmm. and you don't understand why they call it that until you go out on yours yeah because you're alone for days right 28 days four well four days four nights no food okay. no water no shelter you do this okay. every year right I want to do one of those, by the way. I've always wanted to. Well, it was one of the most clarifying experiences I've ever had in my life. And, you know, you're with your medicine people. They put you, they, it's called putting you out on the hill. So you're out in isolation. And I, I'm telling you, Mark, I've never had a more clarifying experience in my life. I saw the, the Navy SEAL character do that on the movie uh, Yellowstone. Did you see, have you seen Yellowstone? I haven't seen that series. I've seen 1883, but oh, I haven't seen Yellowstone. 1883 is incredible. Yellowstone. Yeah, I loved it. It's, it's pretty violent, but uh, they do send the... The son who was a Navy SEAL ends up, you know, going on a vision quest. And it's, it's pretty yeah. cool the way they show that. They're powerful. And, they, and it's, you know, the whole purpose was to pray for guidance. Is there any medicine involved, you know, like, like plant medicine or? Well, I mean, you, you have your pipe. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, what we burn in our pipe is, you know, just traditional tobacco or konekonek, which is red willow bark. But as far as any other type of medicine, I mean, we, we can smudge, you know, we burn sage, sweet grass. That's medicine for us. You're just, it's just you and nature and, that's it. and your thoughts or getting that's away it. from your thoughts. That's it. And I'm telling you, it was, you know, to let that dirt settle in your mud puddle that clearly, no media, <laughs> no traffic, no other people, you know, no it, it, is a, it is a clarifying experience unlike anything I've ever had before. But the point was that prayer aspect was integrated into our sweat lodge ceremonies, mm -hmm. all of our traditional ceremonies prayer, solitude, you know, we didn't call it meditation, but it absolutely was. I mean, when right. you're out on vision quest, you're meditating continually. Right. You're, you're thinking about your breathing, you're observing nature. I mean, you are in a zone that is, is very powerful. And, and I'm a active, you know, I, I'm a practitioner of meditation and yoga mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I've done martial arts, you know, I've boxed in college. I did four years, four and a half years of Krav Maga, mm -hmm. did kickboxing for a while. So it's always been like that. There's been an overlay and integration of all these different practices, right. but meditation is, is critically important and it was for our tribal people too, still is. 
when I um, did the Tom Brown training in what he calls his philosophy track, which was the spiritual track, he talked about the Apaches training um, with their minds where they would develop or access what they call their sacred space. Mm -hmm. And they would actually, uh, you know, it sounded a lot to me sort of like what the hypnotherapy profession had kind of tapped into where, you know, they would walk down kind of through their conscious mind and then they would access those their, deeper places. Yeah. Yeah. They would access the subconscious by walking through a, literally what they considered to be a portal, which was the doorway between, you know, the kind of the outer material realm and the first, what they call band of the spiritual realm, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so, so that you could consider that maybe to be the same band that, you know, someone who's learned to astral travel or who has an out of body experience, you know, they kind of like, they go into that band and yet they're still connected to their physical body so they can kind of snap back really quick. They don't get lost, so to speak. Right. I, I thought this was fascinating. And he talked about how that grandfather who was his mentor told him that to the Apache envisioning, they called it envisioning, which is creating a vision and having visions and experiencing visions. When they had it, when they were, when they were trained, like deeply trained in it after a number of years, that the vision was more real than their experience in the material world. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, he tells us, this is a fun story. You know, this is just one of like many, but like he's with um, grandfather and they're, and they're on this trail and they sit down along this trail to meditate and, and they go into this state and Tom goes into one of these vision states. And while he's doing this vision state, he sees some Apaches walking along the trail. You know, this is, must've been hundreds of years ago, right? And the last uh, one walking along this trail was just a, a small, you know, like 12, 14 year old boy. And and something falls out of his pouch. And then they go off on their way. And when Tom uh, came out of this vision, he was like, huh. And he went over to where this artifact had dropped and he started digging in it. And he pulled up an arrowhead that was right there. You know what I mean? Right exactly wow. where he saw it drop. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I tell you, there's, there's a lot in the universe we don't understand. But there's, there, these practices have been around for a long time. The belief yep. is strong. And it's for reasons like that. I mean, Crazy Horse had an idea, you know, a philosophy as well that, this world that we live in is the dream world. And That's when right. he was actually asleep, that was the real world. That was the spiritual realm. And that lines up with kind of the yoga tradition that says that what we are experiencing here really is an illusion or a dream. Mm -hmm. And that there's another aspect of us that is having this dream that is our real self. Yeah. So it's fascinating. It's fascinating philosophy. It's a little hard for people steeped in the material without any of this training or any any kind of research or, or investigation in this or experiences to really wrap their head around it but i've been deeply inspired by that and and i, I think it's true you know and i'll say that public i really do think it's true and you then you you start to kind of marry that up with the the notion of synchronicity and you know how that right when you surrender instead of instead of just trying to force your way thinking that everything is material linear time and space cause and effect when you surrender to the fact that there is this kind of unity that underlies everything yeah. and you begin to vibrate at that frequency, then you have synchronicities pop up all the time. They just, yeah, you're in life flow. just starts to experience that life flow, right? The older I get, the more I realize that is a much better way to walk the journey. 100%. Is be open to, you know, what's happening and, yeah. you know, whether you say that, you know, the, the mantra, let go and let God, you know, be in flow, be in state be mindful. That's right. It's just, you know, taking our hands off the wheels to control every 
dang aspect of our lives. I mean, which burns up a lot of time and energy usually doesn't get the results we want anyway, sometimes can completely backfire. Right. You can get some results, but they're often not the results you want long term. Yeah. Or it comes at great cost. Y- yes, absolutely. To, to ourselves or to our relationships. I mean, it, it can get pretty chaotic because we are putting energy into places that it doesn't need to be mm-hmm. instead of being open to what's happening around us. We get, right. I think we get a lot better results when we do that. Yeah, what's coming to me now is a, another two terms that really have inspired me that came from the warrior tradition of the Japanese, you know, the mm-hmm. samurai and, and the, that kind of ilk. One is um, shibumi. And it, and it speaks to what we're talking about. When you're in that flow, shibumi means effortless perfection. Wow. Like things spontaneously arise and they're just are exactly the way they need to be in that moment. Yeah. yeah. And you see this, like when I, when I first uh, met my Zen master, who was also my martial arts instructor, he was the founder of this style of karate called Sado. Had hundreds of thousands of students worldwide. He was about 45 at the time and I met him. His name was Tadashi Nakamura. And, um, you know, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York, you know. Literally, 375 people in my town. Okay. And um, I had never experienced or come into contact with anyone who I would even remotely call enlightened. Yeah. Just wasn't something that we were able to access. And, and most people haven't, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But when I stepped foot into that martial arts studio, it's like 2,000 square feet, beautiful wood floor, hundreds of students training. And in the middle of the floor was this, this five foot five or six Japanese guy who was just like, he was built like a brick shithouse. Mm-hmm. And he was like this radically intense, but there was like this energy around him. I could just see this energy around him, you know? Yeah. And, you know, he would stop and correct people and do his thing. And then someone cracked a joke in the corner, right? You know, I expected him to like, to go all ballistic, right? Yeah. And instead he looks over and you see a little smile crack in his face and he just starts bursting out laughing like a little schoolgirl. Yeah. <laughs> See, he's, he's, he's in the moment at the moment. He was in the moment and, yeah. he, and it was like spontaneous perfection and it yeah. didn't bring any kind of discredit to his authority at all. Like, didn't diminish anything. It actually uplifted it because everyone's like, oh, this guy is a grandmaster and he's human. Yeah. There you go. And he's human. And, and so that he's not hiding right behind any yeah. mask. Like what you see is what you get moment to moment to moment to moment. And I think that's like, to me, it's always been my tell of an ultimate warrior is like, are they wearing a mask? Yeah. Or not? And most people do. They're not aware of it, right? They're hiding behind some masks. Yeah. I mean, we get rewarded for it, unfortunately. You know, when we're putting that facade out and we're portraying this image, false image of perfection, and we've got it all tied together at any given moment, we get rewarded for that. That's right. Uh, it's not real. You know, there's, we all stumble. We all struggle. We all need outside support and encouragement or answers at times. Mm-hmm. And the more we can embrace that, I think that's where true strength, you know, really starts to emerge yeah. because we realize it's, you know, again, you're thinking big picture here. It's not about us. You know, our, our warriors were very clear in their purpose. It was to feed and protect their people, not to feed and protect their ego. I love that. So when you get out of your own way, you can really deliver, you can really contribute at a much higher level right? because you're removing yourself from stopping the flow of what you could ultimately do. Right. But they also recognize, even though, you know, because they were scarce resources and their tribe was the most important, they also recognized that mm-hmm. everything and everyone was important. Yes. So they, they didn't res- disrespect nature, right? If they were going to cut a tree down, they, they made sure that it was the right tree to cut down and they did right. ceremony around it. 
if they were going to go into battle because of the scarce resources against a neighboring tribe or to protect their tribe from them, you know, it was with great reverence that any yeah. loss of life was a big deal. And I think if we could bring that back to get people to recognize the sameness in everything and everybody mm -hmm. and to appreciate the diversity. Yeah. Right. Instead of using diversity as a club, right? Over. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunately been all too often the pattern yeah. recently. Um, right. And that's what makes the environment beautiful. That's what makes the world beautiful is that diversity that we're not all the same, that, right. you know, environments are stronger when they're diverse. And yet we all come from the same source and we'll all go back to the same source. And we all have that same spirit that runs through all things that the natives talk about, right? But we love to focus on the differences. That's right. We do. Because that's where we're trained. And like you said, we're rewarded for that. Yeah. The other word that really inspired me, and I, I'm wondering if there's a corollary in the native tradition or Ottawan tradition. And, and we use it for our big 50-hour uh, crucible event, which is like, you know, it's our version of Hell Week where we yeah. really have to bring yourself mind, body, and spirit and work in the spirit of harmony and, or else you just won't get through it. Yeah. It's Kokoro. And Kokoro means to merge your heart and your head into your hands or, or into your actions. So yeah. head, heart, hara, head, heart, hands. Yeah. You know, integration, right? Leading from the heart. However you want to say it, whole mind is another way to say it. Yeah. We, we have a tradition in, in my tribe. We have two ways of learning. We have Bokadwin and Kandaswin. And Kandaswin is head learning. It's logic. It's, yeah. you know, it's important Information in the world. and knowledge. Information yeah. and knowledge. And, and it's important in the world we live in. But the other type of learning is Bokadwin. It's the, the learning that comes to us when we're in a place of solitude or quiet. Mm -hmm. When we turn down the volume of all the crazy that we're in, the chaos, and get to that space where you meditation, prayer, where you're isolating yourself or and listening to that internal voice. It can't be heard. You can't honor it if you never give yourself time to actually listen to it. And so that's that's an important concept and and you know. I think those are where the best decisions I've ever made in my life have come from. I've made a lot of decisions based on just this, that, you know, yeah, sure. it's kind of a mixed bag, <laughs> those <laughs> results. Yeah. But I can't, you know, but I, I tell you, it's few and far between I've ever made, you know, using that, that type of learning, you know, that intuition, that gut level whisper that talks to us when we're quiet and when we honor it, you know, sometimes we train it out of us. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we ignore it, especially if it's telling us messages that we don't want to hear. You know, if that message is coming up to like, like, uh, you should take care of yourself. We're like, shut up. I'm working on this. I'll get to it later. Right. We pay for that. There's a, we there's a real it, yeah. cost in, in ignoring that. Gosh, I remember training for the CrossFit games and this is, you know, I'm well into all this training. So mm -hmm. I could have had a version of this conversation with you at that time. Yeah. And my point for telling the story is that how easily it is to kind of ignore the, intuition or the inner voice, even when it's kind of like fairly loud. Yeah. Smacking you. Like, so I was training for the CrossFit Games, you know, for my age group, the open. And, um, and I was doing this workout and, and my coach, the coach who was coaching me was actually one of my coaches, you know, and I hired him as a young guy, but I was wanting, you know, have him hold me accountable. And, okay. and so the workout was like three bars of death. It was bench press, power cleans and deadlift, right. And just doing a descending ladder, 10 to one. And and the deadlifts, he had stacked a little bit over my, my training weight, right? Okay. And in the first round of this workout, I literally had a vision of my back blowing out and me falling on the ground. Oh, boy. And I didn't do anything about it. I ignored it. And guess what happened? Yes. In the very, <laughs> the second to last round, when we were on the twos, 
I go to lift that bar and I must've been just slightly out of position and boom, yeah. and I'm laying on the ground and I'm thinking, immediately thought was, Mark, you know better than that. You yeah. know better, right? You felt it so coming. You saw that it That was the last time I was like, okay, never again am I, am I going to ignore that. Yeah. You got to listen. I mean, I, I did the same thing, Mark, earlier. You know, when I first started this career, I was an officer in the military. We had just started a family. I had a lot of responsibility. There was a lot of moving parts and a lot of stress. And I kept ignoring, you know, taking care of myself. And I kept saying, I'll get to it later, get to it later. And I had all the classic signs of, you know, my body trying to tell me to slow down. Right. Um, I was hearing that internal voice and I just basically said, shut up. I'll get to you later. Mm -hmm. And later showed up with a vengeance. I, I woke up one morning with a what I thought was a heat rash down the right side of my body to the top of my thigh. It was shingles. Oof. And it was six weeks of a living hell type of experience. I wouldn't wish that on an enemy. Yeah, that's just an autoimmune response from being so ridiculously out of balance. Ex exactly. And yeah. the doctor I saw that had been practicing medicine for 30 years looked at me and he said, what are you doing to yourself? Because yeah. I, was, I was 28 at the time. You know, but you, you can push, you know, sometimes we don't, you know, we can see the writing on the wall. We don't change until we hit the wall. You don't have to learn that way, right. by the way. You know, that was a painful experience, but that's why I'm a born again advocate for self-care. You know, you are the only you you'll ever have or be. A hundred percent. The irony is that people don't think they have the time yeah. to slow down or the time to sit in silence or the time to take a retreat or even a weekend off, right? Yeah. When you have that mindset then the universe will take that time for you in a painful way. Yes. And furthermore, the other way to look at this is when you develop the skills to go inside and to tap into that wisdom that we're talking about, it doesn't take an equal amount of time as things do in the linear material world. Like, so, mm -hmm. you know, if, if I say oh, I've got like this task list, you know, to work on my business or to write my, you know, let's say I've got, I've got working on a book and I'm working on my business and I'm working on my nonprofit, all of which is true. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on my PhD right now, all of which is true. Oh my gosh. So like, I've got a pretty significant task list for all of those. And there, I could fill every single minute up right. every day with that task list. And that's how we're, like you said earlier, that's what we're trained to do. That's the training of our schools. You know, just this endless, insane list of projects and homeworks and things to do that really don't contribute much to learning. It's just to fill your day up to keep you distracted. Same yeah. thing at work, right? You got to fill those 40 hours up or whatever. And then if you're not doing a project, then culture is training you by filling it up with all this other distracting bullshit, the entertainment right. and social media. And uh, you know, honestly, it's, it's a genius way to keep people from going within. Yes. And, and being healthy and, and, and finding out that they don't need pharmacologicals and they don't need to go to the emergency room every three weeks, right? Because they're super healthy. Yeah. They don't need to go on the diet because their body is in perfect balance. They don't need to overtrain because their body feels like, oh yeah, I know I need to take a day off, right? Everything that is distracting you, taking extra time suddenly goes away because you spend just five minutes a day. Yeah. Just five minutes or 10 minutes a day. I, I recommend to my team, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, 20 minutes, you know, that's all you really need. And then take a, a couple little one minute breaks during the day. We have a different view on that, that word medicine. You know, and that's yeah. what we're talking about here. Medicine right. in our tribal communities isn't something we seek out when we're already sick and out of balance. It's something we incorporate into our lives daily to keep us strong and resilient. Breathing fresh oxygen in nature is medicine. Anything and everything that keeps you healthy mind, body, and spirit can be considered medicine. We call it mushkeke, which translates into strength that you gather from the earth. I love it. Anything can qualify. 
But when you don't incorporate it add into your life, this is where fulfilling your role becomes unsustainable. You know, being a warrior is somebody who can show up day in and day out, deliver on their responsibilities, impact the world, contribute. Being a martyr is somebody who goes until the wheels fall off, stands back and says, what the hell happened here? Look at me. Yeah. Look how good I am. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Look how good I am until I fall apart. Yeah. It's you know, and we, yeah, exactly. So that medicine is incorporated. You know, it's, it's critically important to have that in our life to keep us strong. hundred percent. And it's not just um, for health and well-being and thriving as a human. You truly, when you learn to slow down and go within, you tap into that wisdom of your inner voice, right? And the wisdom of your instinctual drives that say, don't go there because it's dangerous or it's not your path. And, but do go follow this. And that, you know, that do might be in contrary to what your fear-based brain is telling you. Yeah. So when you learn to go within every day in these quiet time practices, you get better information so you make better decisions. And you could be making one degree different better decisions every single day with, a, with an interior practice and end up in a really, really different place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing that I've found too is the slower I, I move and the quieter I am, that's when happiness in my life actually is able to emerge. I can't do that when I'm squelching it by running around with my hair on fire and occupying every waking second of my day. You can accomplish anything you want in the world and it's not going to fulfill you the way that just taking that time to reflect uh, actually can. I love it. Slow down for success. That's a great yep. place to kind of pin this. Your book, The Warrior Within, congratulations, by the way. I know it's your third Thank book. You. Yeah. I'm sure it was like giving birth, you know, not that yeah. I've ever given birth, but I've written five books. I know what it's like. It's a lot of work. I think that's the closest as men that we can come to, to doing that. But that's, yeah, I, I, I agree. Do you have a, um, like a website that you wanted people to find that at, or do you just send them to Amazon? Yeah. Uh, nativediscovery.com is Excellent. my website. And that's kind of an overview of everything I do, who I am, and you know, information, obviously, on all three of my books, including the latest. Right. But that's the best way to get a hold of me. And what's the name again of the documentary? The first one I was featured in is called The Warrior Tradition. Mm -hmm. That came out in 2019. It, was, it aired nationally on Veterans Day. Mm -hmm. And then the second one uh, that I was the host and producer of came out last year, and that's called Discovering Your Warrior Spirit. Awesome. Both on PBS. PBS, I'll have to look for those. Yeah. And what about social media? Did you play, play in that realm? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I have a Facebook uh, business page. I'm on Twitter and I have my own YouTube channel. Okay. Um, so that I'm pretty easy to find online. Just search your name for, for those. Yeah, for LinkedIn. And then on Facebook, it's uh, Building Warriors. Well, AJ, it's been a real honor talking to you. Thanks so much for your work and for doing what you do and for your presence and for keeping the warrior spirit alive and training people. It's really important right now as we head through this next decade, right? We need warriors with a big heart yeah. to lead from the front. Agree a hundred percent. Chimigwechniji, thank you very much, my friend, for having me on today. Yeah. Hoo-yah. Hoo-yah. <laughs> that means yeah. the same thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome, my friend. What an incredible discussion with DJ Eagle Bear Venice. Uh, super enjoyed learning about his warrior tradition of the Ottawa and, and the Native Americans. We had a great conversation about my inspiration with the Apaches and uh, through some of my training. Love, love, love his story and his message and his training. And I think I'm going to go do myself a vision quest. Show notes will be up at markdevine.com. Copy of the YouTube video will be at markdevine.com slash YouTube. You can find me at markdevine at Twitter and at Real Mark Devine on IG and Facebook and or my LinkedIn page. 
If you're not on my email list for the Divine Inspiration Newsletter, you might consider doing that by going to markdivine.com and subscribing. I'm bringing you a weekly blog, uh, the show notes for the podcast, and other cool inspirational things that come across my desk. Shout out to my amazing team, Jason Sanderson, Q Williams, and Jeff Haskell, who produce this podcast and bring guests like DJ to you every week. Ratings and reviews do help, so if you haven't rated it or reviewed it, consider doing so at Apple or wherever you do. Listen to this show. It helps other people find it, and it keeps us at the top of the rankings. The world is changing fast, and I think the next 10 years, as DJ and I talked about, are going to require us to really step into our warrior archetypes. It's going to be a hero's journey, and we need to set forth on our own hero's journey to uncover our strength, to be more courageous, and to be more whole. That's why SealFit has launched a series of quests on a year-long hero's journey, and these quests help you to be SealFit, to be unbeatable, to search for your inner warrior, and to get sheepdog strong. Learn more about these quests and to join us next year in 2023 on your own hero's journey. Go to sealfit.com forward slash show. Till next time, this is your host, Mark Devine. Booyah. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.